Hello, everyone. Darren Alf here from BicycleTrainPro.com. If, you, if you've just tuned in, I'm, I'm asking you to leave a comment on YouTube and let me know where you're from in the world, like city and country maybe, and also how long you've known about Bicycle Train Pro, because Bicycle Train Pro is celebrating its 11th year in existence this month, um, and and I know some of you are just discovering Bicycle Train Pro, and some of you have been with me since the very beginning. So, um, yeah, just leave a comment with those two things. I see Ivan here from Moldova. He says he's known about Bicycle Train Pro for a year. Bill says six months. Um, let's see. Mark Simpson, yes, from the U.K. David Reeds from Michigan. He says two or three years. Um Bill says three months. Uh, Bold Erdene, I don't know how to say your name, I'm sorry, uh, says hello from Mongolia. He discovered Bicycle Train Pro a year ago. Sebastian from south of France a few months ago. Um, Jay uh, from Canada says about five years ago. Um, yeah, Joff says one week ago. Uh, ML from Helsinki, Finland says, been watching your videos for two years now, and I think I've seen all of them. That's awesome. There's a lot of videos to watch. I think there's 540 videos or something like that up on the Bicycle Train Pro YouTube channel at the moment. So that's quite a few videos. Uh, Honeybee Adventures India says, hi, three years from India. Scott says, known about Bicycle Train Pro for a year, currently in Cambodia. Cool. Uh, Norman is in Elk Grove, Northern California. Uh, Lars I'm sorry, I butchered your name. Um, I'm from Sweden, known you about, for about a year. That's awesome. So there's a lot of actually like relatively new people. Um, Freedom Cycles, England, four years. You inspired my last tour on the Camino that you just did. Love it. That's awesome. Um, Paul from Southern California says plus or minus six years. Paul, I think you win the award thus far. Um, but yeah, so this month, 11 years ago, I started bicycletouringpro.com. And I started the website because I had been bicycle touring at that point, gosh, for, yeah, for 11 years. So more than 10 years at that point. I had been bicycle touring, and I had an old friend and an ex-college roommate named Brandon, who, when I was in college with him, I had been trying to get him on a bicycle tour with me, but it never really seemed like something that he was interested in, so I never really pressed it. You know, I, I didn't even think about him as a potential bicycle touring partner. And then, after we graduated from college, years later, uh, and and like I said, 11 years into my bicycle touring experience all around the world, Brandon called me and said, Hey, I want to go. I'm thinking about going on a bike tour across America. Can you help me? And so like that night I, I sat on the phone with Brandon and was like telling him all these things, all my secrets that I've now like written up on my website and in my book, the bicycle train blueprint, all my secrets for bicycle train success over the phone. And it took like three hours to tell him, you know, everything and then we talked again and again and again years you know as the as his bike tour got closer but after that phone call with Brandon 
where I told him all my secrets for bike touring. And I thought, man, that was really fun to like help somebody else out with their bicycle touring adventure. And, and wouldn't it be cool if I could help other people too learn how to conduct bicycle tours. And at the time, 2007, blogging was just taking off like like no one had even really heard of blogging practically it was kind of a new thing and i decided that that like that next day that i was going to start a blog about bicycle touring and so that's when i bought the domain name bicycletouringpro.com and i bought that domain name the name of the website because it was kind of an aspirational sort of name at the time it was like wouldn't it be cool if I could, my whole, my, my full-time job was to like ride my bike, travel the world and teach people how to conduct bike tours. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know what I mean? And it took a little while. It took a couple years, but I can say now that for over a decade, I have been running Bicycle Train Pro as my full-time job and I've helped thousands and thousands of people all around the world, learn how to conduct bicycle train adventures. So that's really cool. Um, and, and in that time, I guess, from a personal standpoint, I've been to about 70 different countries, or I've biked across 70 different countries all around the world. Um, and I've lost track of how many miles or how many kilometers I've actually cycled. I get asked that all the time, but I have no clue. I lost track after a couple of years. And, and at this point, I just don't care that much. Um, but it's a big number. I know it's a big number. Um, but what I'm even more proud of, I think is helping other people learn how to conduct bike tours. And, and now that I have been bike touring myself for more than 18 years, going on 19 years, um, I think the thing that I get the most joy out of is getting emails and Instagram messages and Facebook messages and stuff from you guys with, especially when you send a picture or a video or something. But when I get a picture of you out on the road on your bicycle and it says something like, hey, Darren, I watched your videos or I read your articles or I read your book, The Bicycle Turn Blueprint, and you helped me make this happen. And it was an incredible experience and blah, 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 blah. Even if you said, like, it was really hard and it rained a lot and, and it was so tough sometimes and I wanted to cry and go home, usually people say, but it was amazing and it, it was an amazing experience and I would love to do it again. So um, I love getting those sorts of messages and I want to continue helping people in the future. Um, there are actually five things that I'm kind of celebrating this month and I've posted about this earlier, but I'll, I'll repeat it here again. And the five things that I'm celebrating in October, 2018, is the fact that Bicycle Turn Pro is 11 years old. So I've been running the website at BicycleTurnPro.com for 11 years now. I'm turning 35, which is crazy to say. Um, today is not my birthday. My birthday is on October 14th, so in three days from now. Um, Bicycle Turn Pro's YouTube channel just passed 10 million views, which is really cool. I mean... I know Taylor Swift or somebody like that gets 10 million views like in a day when she launches a new music video. But for a, a tiny little niche subject like bicycle touring, 10 million views is something to be celebrated. So thank you guys so much for watching all my videos. Um, recently, I asked you guys on social media 
what do you think makes Bicycle Train Pro unique? And the overwhelming thing that people said was my videos, the videos, the videos. Your videos are amazing, blah, 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 blah. Um, so thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I honestly enjoy making the videos more than I do anything else on the website, like the articles and the photos and all that kind of stuff. The videos I think are just fun. And I think they're a great storytelling mechanism for what bicycle touring is. You know, you can see a photo of somebody out on the road, but it doesn't really get you the whole picture. And, and you can also pose a photo in such a way that it, you know, it looks like you're at the top of some epic mountain, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you don't get that full experience of, of the actual bicycle tour. So um, if you haven't watched any of my bicycle touring videos, Bicycle Train Pro videos on the Bicycle Train Pro YouTube channel, I encourage you to go back. All of my vlogs are numbered so that they're numbered from episode zero all the way up to, I think we're at like episode 220 something, 224 maybe. Um, and I have new vlogs coming. So yeah, um, if you haven't done so, go back, just type in Bicycle Train Pro episode zero the, the the number zero, and you'll find my my very first vlog, which was a vlog that I created when I was in Ukraine back in 2012 about this stray dog that uh, just happened to follow me on the road. And this was way before vlogging was like even a thing. So if you go back and watch that video, you'll see it's a very short video, but um, it's actually one of the videos that I get the most comments about. Um, partially because it's sad. So go back and watch that if you haven't done so already. I, I think that's a good one, um, even though it was my first one. The other thing I'm celebrating this, this month, I don't know if it's something to celebrate, to be honest, but um, three years ago, I finished a two-year-long bike tour across Europe and Asia. I biked I don't know, I think across like 14 different countries in Europe and Asia in 2013, 2014, I forget now, something like that, 2014, 2015. And um, at the end of that trip, I came home to spend like the holidays, you know, October, November, December, something like that with my parents in Southern California. And when I came home, I found out that I had cancer. Um, and I had to go in for like an emergency surgery and my whole life was kind of thrown upside down at that point. And then I, I stayed in Southern California for about five months before I left the house and went off on another bike tour. So, um, it has been almost three months now, uh, since that whole ordeal with cancer. And, um, I had my surgery for cancer in, in, in November, uh, I guess it was 2015. God, it feels like yesterday, to be honest. But um, so it's it's been three years now since I have they've cut the cancer out of me, um, and I've been cancer free ever since, which is awesome. So um, the good thing too about this three years of being cancer free is that for the first three years or so, I, I basically had to have new tests, new tests. Um, all the time. Every three months, I had to get new blood tests, had to have a new CT scan. And now that we're three years out, I have one more test in November 
So coming up in like a month, I have a new CT scan and a new new blood test. But if I pass that, I don't have to get tested again for another whole year. So um, part of the reason I haven't been doing any really big bike trips or what I would consider like a big bike trip, like a two-year-long bike trip or something um, over the last couple of years is because of this whole cancer ordeal. I've had to make all of my bike tours really short because I'm constantly having to come, come back to Southern California to get tested again. So that's been pain from like a cycling standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a financial standpoint, those, all those tests and doctor visits and stuff are not cheap and my insurance doesn't cover most of it. So, um, yeah, it, it's basically sucked for the last three years, but I feel like I'm getting out of it. Um, so, so that's a good thing. So it's something to celebrate. And then finally, my last big thing that I just wanted to say, kind of something that I touched on at the beginning is that I have been running bicycle train pro for 11 years. And my goal since the very beginning has not been to just like hype myself up or get a bunch of people to think Darren's really cool for biking around the world. I really don't care all that much about like people following my trips necessarily, or even me sharing some of my trips. Like I do that just so I can demonstrate what bike touring is. Well, I do it first of all, because I enjoy it. And if, if no one was watching me, I would still do it, but I share my, my, photos and my videos now because I'm trying to show people what bike touring is like. And I want to get people out on the road because I know that I've received a whole bunch of benefits from bicycle touring. And I know that if other people were to try bicycle touring for themselves, um, they would also benefit, I think, from their experiences on the road in much the same way that I've uh, benefited from my bicycle tours. So um, my goal this year, or, or coming up, I should say, is to get 10,000 people on bike tours all around the world. So I want to I get 10,000 people on bicycle tours. And right now, like I said, I've been running the website for, at Bicycle Turn Pro for 11 years. What happens is people come to the website, they read articles, they watch my videos, they get my book, The Bicycle Turn Blueprint. Uh, thousands of thousands of people have ordered this book and are using it to plan their own bike tours. But the problem is a lot of the people even the, the, the read the articles or watch the videos or buy the book, a lot, of, a lot of those people don't message me after they've done their bike tour to say, hey, Darren, I completed the trip. And, and so I'm really putting an emphasis now on like trying to get people, you, you guys, to send me your photos, send me your videos from the road, you know, tell me a little bit of a sentence or two about your trip at least. Tell me what the highlight was. Tell me what the low light was. Um, tell me a lesson you've learned from the road, something like that. And I'm collecting these success stories. I'm calling them success stories because I am helping people get out there on their own bike tours. And I'm collecting them on my website at bicycletrainpro.com. If you go to the website, there's a little button up at the top or in the menu that says testimonials. And if you click on that, you will see all of the people that I've collected thus far that have sent me photos or emails or whatever um, saying that, Hey, Darren, you've inspired me. You've, uh, your book helped me, your videos helped me, whatever. And so I've collected all those people and all of their experiences on this one page on bicycle, on the bicycle train pro website. So I encourage you guys to go check that out because 
I think it's encouraging uh, to see how many other people from all walks of life and all ages all around the world are actually conducting bicycle tours. If you only watch my content, you might think that like I'm one of the few people in the world that are doing this, but there are actually hundreds and thousands of people that are conducting bike tours all around the world. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to be one of those people. So um, just go to bicycletouringpro.com, uh, click on the testimonials tab in the menu, and you'll see all of those success stories. Now, right now, there are only about 400 testimonials, 400 success stories on that page. 400 is a good start, um, but I know that there are more people out there that have been following Bicycle Train Pro for six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years um, that have gone off on bicycle tours and I just simply haven't heard from them. So if you're one of those people who I've helped in some way, um, please send me a message, whether it be via email, the contact form on bicycleturnpro.com, through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. Send me a message and just let me know about your trip, where you went, um, send me a photo or a video if you can. And if I helped you in any way, please let me know how I did that. That's the most important part for me because I feel like um, a, that's how I tell what to do more of in the future. You know, like just recently I asked you guys, you know, what is it that makes Bicycle Train Pro unique for you? And so many people said the videos, the videos, the videos. Like nobody said, Darren, I love your articles even though I've written 1,200 free articles that are up on the Bicycle Touring Pro YouTube uh, website, nobody said, man, that article was great. Well, a few people did say, like, one article or this, one article that, but nobody said, like, I love your articles, you know? They all said, I love your videos. So that was really good feedback for me to hear. It just makes me want to make more videos for you guys. So um, awesome. Thank you very much. Anyways, that is my big goal moving forward from here into the future. Bicycle Touring Pro is now 11 years old. We're going on year number 12. And my main goal for next year is to help as many people as possible so that I can build up that testimonial page on Bicycle Touring Pro so that it has 10,000 or more people who have gone off on bicycle tours with the help of myself and Bicycle Touring Pro. That is my big goal. One second, guys. I forgot to plug my computer in, so the power is like almost out. Hold on. Hopefully I don't unplug everything while I'm doing this. I have like four external hard drives connected to the computer right now because I've been editing all these videos from my bike tour in Europe this past summer. I have about 40 videos that I'm working to edit that are all backlogged for Bicycle Train Pro. So I have, I've been busy at work here. I'm moving the computer over so that the cord is closer to the wall so I can plug it in. Um, where am I right now? That's a good question. I'm in Hamilton, Montana, and this is not my house. This is a Bicycle Train Pro reader's house. One of you guys um, invited me here. Um, there's a, a woman named Sheila that lives here in this house, and she had to go away to the east coast of the United States for a little bit. She's gone for like a month. And she heard that I was going to be in Montana, which is where I am right now. And she said, hey, I'm leaving for like a month. Would you like to stay at my house? And it just so happened that I needed a place to sit and work on the videos. Um, so, so Sheila 
said, yeah, you can come and stay in my house for free for the entire month. So that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm here in Hamilton, Montana, and I'm basically just devoting this entire month to working on the videos for Bicycle Train Pro because, like I said, I have so many videos to edit right now. Um, hopefully the light is not, like, directly in my face. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, what's, that's where I am right now. I'm in Hamilton, Montana in Sheila's house. Okay, one last thing before we begin the Q&A. I just wanted to kind of tell you what was going on. My book, The Bicycle Train Blueprint, is, is the main thing that I use to teach people how to conduct bicycle tours all around the world. It's a 400-page guidebook. It's like a textbook for bicycle touring to teach you everything you need to know. Um, it's 400 pages, but the writing is really big. So I wanted to make it easy for people to read. Um, so don't be overwhelmed by its total size, but it is kind of a very comprehensive book to bicycle touring. And if you're new to bicycle touring, I know a lot of you already have the book, so this isn't for you, but if you're new to bicycle touring pro, and if you're new to bicycle touring, and you want to get into this traveling with your bicycle. Um, I really encourage you to get this book. Um, I worked a, a long time on it, years, to put this thing together, and I know that it's helped a lot of people gain the knowledge that they need to go out and conduct their own bike tours. Not only is it filled with my 18-plus years of, of bicycle touring knowledge, but I think it the, the main thing that reading this book does is it gives you the confidence to actually go out and do it. Um, so... Um, if you if you haven't gotten the book already, I just wanted to use this one moment as a chance to uh, tell you to go out and get it. And if you want to get it this month, you can get it for $5 off its normal price if you just enter the coupon code BIRTHDAY at checkout. So um, you can get it on my website, bicycletrainpro.com. Once you put it in the cart, just enter the coupon code BIRTHDAY and you'll get $5 off the, the cost of the book. So this is available in paperback or as a uh, PDF ebook. Um, and yeah, $5 off, just enter the coupon code birthday. Okay, that's it. The main thing that I want to do today is to answer your guys' questions. I just wanted to make myself available to answering your questions about bike touring or world travel or anything else that you guys wanted to ask me. Um, I do these live Q&As about once a month or so. Um, and um, yeah, so I thought today would be a really fun day to do it just because we're celebrating all these different things. So um, I'm going to basically open it up to Q&A now. I, I know a lot of you have been commenting on the side here, but I haven't been reading the comments because I can't read them, talk, and do all these things at once. So I'm just not that smart. But now I, would, I will open it up for Q&A. And so if you guys have any questions that you want me to answer, about bike touring, world travel, anything you want. I see someone asked about my cancer. I can talk about that even some more if you want. Um, now is the time. Just feel free to ask me a question there in the comments, and I'll do my best to answer your question. If I don't know the answer, I'll try to tell you I don't know the answer. Um, and maybe I'll try to find out the answer for a future video or something. Um, Ray Ray says, where can you camp? for free traveling on a bicycle? That's a good question and kind of complex because it, it varies depending on where you are in the world. The, the, 
where can you camp for free? <laughs> There's so many places that my, my brain is overwhelmed. I guess one of the things that I'll, I'll tell you, when I first started bicycle touring, where did I camp for free? I started camping for free, not by just like rolling off into the forest or something, because I wasn't sure if that was allowed. But the, the way that I started camping for free was simply by meeting people on the road and having them ask me if I needed a place to stay for free, or sometimes me asking them if I could stay at their place for free. So the very first time that I ever got invited into someone's house was on my second long distance bike tour, which is when I was biking across America from east to west on the Trans-America bicycle route. This was back in 2002. I was 18 years old at the time. And for the most part, I had been staying in like established campgrounds. But at one point on the trip, I was in Colorado, Eastern Colorado and I had ridden like a hundred miles that day in crazy hundred degree heat, really, you know, really hard day. And I had reached this uh, gas station and there was like a little plotch of dirt in the back of the gas station where you could actually camp and they allowed you to camp and they would charge you 10 bucks to camp back there or whatever. So I went into the gas station and asked like, how much is it to camp? back here and the lady said like oh 10 bucks or whatever so i was like ah i didn't want to pay the 10 bucks first of all and it was like a terrible just it was like camping behind a gas station you know what i mean not exactly pleasant so i was like man 10 bucks to camp behind a smelly dirty gas station that sucks so i went out to my bike to get the money to pay and while i was out at the bike this guy this like short really uh stout guy with a giant he had no shirt on he had a giant beer belly like the biggest beer belly i've ever seen no shirt and it looked like he had had not worn a shirt for about 10 years because he was so sunburned um but he comes up to me and he said hey you looking for a place to camp and i was like yeah he's like i own a i own a farm just down the road about three miles down the road you you're more than welcome to come and camp on my farm for the night and at the time I was 18 and I had kind of, this was really my first trip or my first time in my whole life being out on, on the road, like on my own or doing anything by myself really. So I was a little hesitant because like my whole life I've been told like, don't go with strangers, you know, don't trust people you don't know and things like that. But at the same time, I really didn't want to pay the 10 bucks to camp behind this noisy, dirty, smelly gas station. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, that'd be good. I'll, I'll do that. And, and so he wanted, he said, yeah, just throw your, throw your uh, bike in the back of my truck and I'll take you there. And that seemed a little scary to me. So I was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll just ride my bike there. I'll follow you there on my bicycle. He's like, well, it's three miles away, you know. So he told me where his place was and he drove ahead of me and I followed on the bike and, if, and and I found his farm. He had a 40-acre farm, basically, out in the middle of, of Colorado. And I, I rolled into this farm, and um, I, could, I saw his truck. It was parked in front of the garage, but he wasn't anywhere to be found. But I heard a noise coming from the garage. And so I go into the garage, and, and I hear, like, a bandsaw. You know, someone's cutting wood in, in the garage. I, I'm assuming it's this guy, but no. 
I go in there. There's a little uh, 11-year-old girl, little blonde, super skinny 11-year-old girl with, like, uh, safety goggles on operating this, like, giant bandsaw, you know, cutting big old blocks of wood. And I'm just like, hi, uh, you know, uh, uh, where where is your dad or whatever? I don't know, you know. I didn't know who this girl was. Um, and turns out this was the daughter of the guy who had asked me to come and stay at his place. And she was making herself a bookshelf for her bedroom at 11 years old with a giant saw completely unsupervised. Um, that's something that wouldn't have happened in my household uh, growing up for sure. So anyways, the guy comes out of his house and he, and he welcomes me in and it turns out to be like the best night of bicycle touring that I had ever had on, on my bike tour up to that point. Um, because every night before that, I had just been kind of like staying in campgrounds and, and basically, you know, eating by myself and that kind of thing. And then on this particular night, when I least expected it, um, I was given a free place to stay and I met all these people that I didn't know. And I got to see like an inside view of their entire life. Like I got to see the way they live, these complete strangers live, which was so different to how I lived. So there's like this 11 year old girl cutting her bandsaw. They had a son who was probably like 13 or 15 or something like that. And um, he invited me to play chess with him that night. And I've played chess before. Uh, so I thought, oh, man, I'm going to kill this little 13-year-old. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but he beat me in like 11 moves, something like that. 11 moves and I was gone. This kid was like a chess prodigy or, or I'm just stupid, one or the other. But um, And then the guy who had invited me in, I can't remember his name, to be honest, but the, the big beer belly guy that turns it like he looked like a sunburnt eastern Colorado farmer. That's what he looked like. But turns out that he used to be a chef in like a five-star restaurant in New York City. So that night he made me this delicious pasta dinner. He, I told him I was vegetarian. So he, he made me like pasta that was vegetarian and, and he made vegetables and stuff. And, and like to this day, that meal is still like one of the top 10 meals I've ever eaten in my entire life. So long story short, um, that's the first time that I ever got a free place to stay on my bicycle tours. And it turned out to be like one of the best experiences of my bicycle train adventures. Even in 18 years, I think that's still like one of my top 10 bicycle train experiences. Just spending that night with this family out in the middle of eastern Colorado. Their home, by the way, was on this ranch where when you were standing on the deck of their home and you looked out, you could not see anybody or anything. You could not see any neighbors. You could not see another road. You could not see nothing. It was just the end of the world out beyond their property. So very, very cool. Um, other places you can stay for free. There's a website called warmshowers.org uh, where you can stay with other people that will host you. There's lots of websites, Global Freeloaders, um, Couchsurfing.com, things like that. They're in parts of the world you can wild camp or stealth camp. And if you go to bicycletouringpro.com, I have lots of articles about how to do that. Just type in stealth camping. Um, and yeah, so that's enough on that one question. I'm sorry, I went off on a long story, but 
um, I think it's important to tell the story because those stories are a part of what makes bicycle touring so memorable. And I think that's a big part of why people come back to bicycle touring again and again. So many people, when they go off on their own bicycle touring adventures, they make the mistake of thinking like it's all about trying to cycle as far as you possibly can in the shortest time possible. And for some people that is like what they want their bike tours to be about. Like they want to set a record or impress their friends with how far they can ride or whatever, you know, but for most people, most people enjoy going a little bit slower and stopping to see things along the way and have experiences along the way. And that's definitely something that um, I recommend to my bicycle touring pro readers all the time is that like, you want to slow down, uh, you know, bike touring isn't just about covering really long distances. It's, it's really about the experiences you have along the way. And when I think back on my bicycle tours, like there are very few places in the world where when I look back at that trip, I remember the actual cycling. Um, usually I don't remember the actual bike riding. What I remember is something that happened along the way. I met somebody or something happened to me. Like I, you know, had that dog follow me in Ukraine, for example. If that dog hadn't been following me, I probably wouldn't remember that trip at all. You know, like I, I would have just remembered, oh yeah, I biked across Ukraine and it was cold. And, uh, you know, and that was it. But because this dog followed me, it, it seared this memory in the back of my mind, something that I can't forget. And I think that's what bicycle terrain is all about. So, um, yeah, enough about that. Mateus says, I felt pain in my wrist during my last bike trip. Do you feel any discomfort? How do you deal with it? That's a good question. And that's actually something that a lot of people experience on their bicycle tours. So, um, I should talk about that. That's a good one. Um, first of all, I'm just making sure that I'm in the frame, uh, wrist pain, or uh, hand pain or elbow pain is something that a lot of bicycle tourists experience. And this is usually caused by a bicycle that doesn't fit you very well. Um, there, there could be a number of different reasons for that, but oftentimes the main one is that, well, there's two main reasons that usually cause that wrist, hand, elbow pain. And that is you're leaning too far forward. So you're, maybe your handlebars are too far forward on the bike. And maybe you, your seat is up too high and your handlebars are too low. Could be one of those things. Um, the other reason that that uh, pain is caused is uh, you only have one hand position for your bicycle or, or you're keeping your hands in the same position all the time while you ride. If you look at most long-distance touring bicycles, they have handlebars that like allow you to put your hands in multiple positions. So my book, the, uh, the essential guide to touring bicycles, let me just show you. Can you see this? So this is a co-motion bicycle. This is the bike like I have right now. And on the cover here, it has drop bars in these are drop bars similar to what you would find on any like road bike. And so people, who don't know better oftentimes see these drop bars on a touring bicycle and they think, Oh, that's a road bike, but they don't understand 
the drop bars are on this bicycle because drop bars give you multiple positions in which to move your hands around. And, and moving your hands around on the handlebars in, di in these different positions prevents you from having that hand pain that you're experiencing. So you'll see that on a lot of touring bicycles. There's drop bars, there's butterfly bars, there's trekking bars, there's all kinds of different things. But um, the, the main thing that you don't want is just a flat handlebar, uh, flat handlebars. Um, like you would see on a on a mountain bike, for example. So if if your bicycle has those flat bars, um, which is just like a straight pull for the handlebars, that might be causing your hand pain just because you have no other position to put your hands in other than just straight on those bars. So um, that would definitely be something to look into. And that's why, like, in this book, I explain that the handlebars are, like, one of the most important parts of your touring bicycle, um, even though it seems like a, a small thing that a lot of people can easily overlook. So that's, those are my two cents about hand pain. I, I, I have firsthand, firsthand experience with this hand pain because um, my first bicycle that I used on my first two bicycle tours was an old mountain bike. It was just a mountain bike that my dad had lying around in the garage. I did my first, mount, uh, first bicycle tour when I was 17 years old and my second bike tour when I was 18. At the time, I had $300 to my name. I didn't have money to go out and buy like a bicycle like you find in this book. Um, so I used what I had available to me at the time, which was my dad's old 20-year-old mountain bike, which only had these flat handlebars. And so my first bicycle tour was from Oregon to Mexico down the California coastline. And by the end of that bike tour, which was 30 days long, it took me 30 days to cycle like a thousand miles or something like that. Um, but at the end of that trip, I was experiencing this hand pain where I was getting like tingling and numbness in my hands because the bike only had that one position in which to place my hands. And on the following trip, the following year, when I rode across America, an even longer trip, um, I rode that same bicycle, which was a huge mistake. Um, and I really had the hand pain because on a long trip like that, where you're just head down and pedaling, um, I, I really didn't have any other position to put my hands in. I was really, I got to the point where I could not barely move my hand at the end of that trip. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And this is, um, something that is not unique to you. It affects a lot of people who go off on long distance bike tours. Last thing I just want to say about that is I'm not saying that if you have flat handlebars, you can't go on a bike tour. I'm just saying that on a longer bike tour, you probably don't want to use um, a bicycle with flat handlebars. Um, you'll see on a lot of like trekking bicycles, trekking bikes are like weekend style touring bicycles. You'll see on a lot of trekking bicycles that they have flat handlebars because those bikes are designed for short weekend style bike tours. Um, but they're not really designed to like take you around the world or across an entire country or whatever. So, um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, Alchemy says, have you seen the Eurovelo website? I've never heard you mention it. Uh, it's that all, uh, the project aims to have 70,000 kilometers of purpose-built cycle paths all across Europe. It's amazing. Yes. I've actually mentioned Eurovelo, um, probably hundreds of times, actually, and I mentioned it inside the book, The Bicycle Turn Blueprint. 
Um, Eurovelo.org, I believe, is the website, but it's a uh, website with maps and stuff for bike routes across Europe. There are all these long-distance bicycle routes that go across Europe, and I have cycled many of these routes. I've probably been on almost every single route on the Eurovelo uh, website in at some point on my bicycle tours. I, I certainly haven't cycled all of the routes, every every kilometer of them all. But um, yeah, those Eurovelo routes are oftentimes like the first place that I check when I'm going to Europe um, just to see which routes are available in the areas that I'm cycling through. I think the problem with the Eurovelo website and even like the Adventure Cycling website um, and, and things like that is the fact that, that people think like those routes are the only routes that you can take across the country or, you know, in those countries. Um, but that's just not true. Um, there are tons of other bicycle routes, like Poland, for example. If you look on the Eurovelo uh, website, there's really like only one route or something that goes through Poland. But there's actually like dozens and dozens and dozens of other long distance bicycle routes that are not listed um, on that website. So, um, and, and the other thing too is like in this book, I kind of teach you to, how to create your own routes because I have learned over the years that I don't like necessarily just following in the footsteps of what other people have done. Like some people like that. Like it's like I started bicycle touring on the adventure cycling routes in America, which are these long distance bike touring routes that go across the U S I've cycled six of the adventure cycling routes in different directions. But after I did that and I had built up some confidence with my bicycle train skills, I started to realize, like, I want to get off of these established routes. I want to go out in places that other bicycle tourists maybe haven't gone to. And so that's when I started traveling internationally. And that's kind of also when I started stop. I, 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 yeah, I, I stopped uh, looking t- for routes from other people. And I just started thinking, where do I want to go? You know, like, not like you know, the, the Trans-America route in, America, in the U.S., like it takes you along a specific route and everybody cycles the same route, even, even though it takes you through places that maybe you have no personal interest in. So I've, in the last few years, like I've gone to places that I'm interested in going. I went to South Africa, for example, just because I wanted to go to South Africa, you know, and not very many people go to South Africa and bike across the entire country by themselves, you know. And when I was on that trip, I, I didn't look at what other people had done. I just kind of said, oh, these are the places I want to go in South Africa. I want to go to Kruger National Park, and I want to bike through Lesotho, and and I want to see the garden route and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I kind of made it up myself. And I think maybe that's a little bit harder. Like, that's maybe not something that a beginner wants to do. But it, it made the trip more um, memorable, for me, because I was able to go to places that I was interested in and passionate about. So um, that's just my little rant about biking routes in general is like, I think they're awesome. I think that's great. I, I love the fact that like people build these routes and, and other people follow them. But I also think um, you shouldn't waste your bicycle tour going to a place that someone else is interested in you got to go to a place that you're interested in you know go to the places you're interested in um i I put down in my notes here that one of the things like i wanted to talk about was 
one of the things that I've learned from my bike tours is, is that you got to have more to your bike tours than just the cycling. Like I mentioned before, like a lot of people go off on bike tours and they think the goal of the trip is to go as far as you can in the shortest distance possible. That's usually not true for most people. But one of the things that I've learned is that like, you've got to keep your bike tours interesting beyond the biking. Uh, there's got to be something more to the biking, especially if you're doing like a long distance bike tour. Like people think they're going to bike around the world and just bike for 365 days straight and not get bored because it's going to be so exciting every single day. But the truth is when you do a long distance bike trip like that, some days are kind of boring. You know, one day kind of looks like the next after a while sometimes. And, and then every once in a while, something crazy and exciting will happen. But sometimes, you know, you're going through farmland for a whole day and then the next day you're going through farmland again you know and the next day after that you're going through more farmland so you got to have something more than the cycling to keep your brain occupied and having a travel companion is a good way to do that you have something to talk about but even with a travel companion you can get sick of that person after a while or you can have the same conversations over and over and over and over again so you got to have something to keep your brain occupied outside of the bike trip and outside of your travel partner and the, the thing that I'm trying to encourage people to do is to keep learning. Um, I've met so many people on the road who are traveling and like they're not even reading a book, for example, while they're out there or, or anything really. Like they don't listen to podcasts or, they, you know, nothing. Maybe they're just listening to music or something. But, um, but they aren't learning. You know, they're traveling, but they aren't really like actively trying to learn anything. And I think for me, that's one of the things that's really benefited me especially as a solo traveler uh, to keep myself, my brain occupied. It's like, I got to keep learning something. So I'm, I'm maybe learning about the place that I'm in. I'm trying to learn the language of the country that I'm in. Um, I'm asking lots of questions to the people I meet along the way. Like, like I love um, asking people about money and real estate and stuff when I'm traveling, even though that's kind of like a, a rude thing to ask people about, but I've discovered like asking people like how much money do you make or you know how much is this expensive for you like or you know what what are your main struggles when it comes to money and stuff like that like i think you get some really interesting answers from people um and people are happy to give me those answers because i'm a traveler you know if i was just asking my friends here at home like how much money you make last year that would probably come across as rude but as a traveler, I can be like, oh, you know, like I'm interested in the way of life here. You know, what, you know, how much money do you think the average person makes? Or how much does a home cost here in South Africa, for example, you know, or Taiwan or whatever, you know? Um, it's really interesting to learn those sorts of things. That's like something I'm interested in. But you could maybe have something that you're interested in that you could be learning about on your bicycle tours. My, my whole point is that like bicycle touring becomes boring if you don't have something that you're trying to learn about. So I encourage you to like challenge yourself when you're out there on the road, have something beyond the bike tour itself that you're going to be learning um, or, or be interested in. And I've seen a lot of people do this on their bike tours. Like I've seen people ride their bikes to every one of the major league baseball parks in America. And so throughout the trip, while they're cycling every day, they're learning about the stadiums. How many seats does each stadium have or, you know, how much money did it cost to build each stadium or whatever? You know what I mean? Um, they're learning about their interest on the trip. I, I've heard about other people who've gone fly fishing on their trips. I've heard about people who have gone um, 
parasailing uh, on bike tours or pack rafting. Um, I myself have carried a skateboard on the back of my bicycle and I've stopped at all these uh, skateboard parks along my route. Um, I've carried a ping pong paddle on my bike tours and I've stopped in places and played ping pong with the locals. Um, I spent a couple months playing in Poland and, and, and another month in Taiwan playing against locals, playing ping pong against locals. So like those are ways that I've kind of like mixed up my bicycle tours with other things I'm interested in. And, and it's just made the bike touring experience like that much more enjoyable. Anyways, just my little rant about uh, not getting bored on a bike tour. Uh, Dan says, would you ever consider doing a tour along the New England coastline? Dan, I have done a bike tour along the New England coastline. It, it was a long time ago, and I don't, I've never really written about it or posted photos or videos or anything um, because I did it back in 2003. And at the time, I was really not taking pictures or videos. I was just bike touring for my own personal enjoyment. So in 2003, I biked from North Carolina up to Maine, all the way along the New England coastline. Um, and it was a good trip, excuse me, but it, it rained a lot and, and uh, that wasn't fun. I'm drinking out of my, my bicycle water bottle. Um, yeah, I think I, I enjoyed cycling in on the East coast of the United States. I think it was much more crowded than in the West, however, like on the roads and going back to what I had said earlier about the adventure cycling routes, like one of the things that I, I, I don't like about cycling in America, I guess is, is just the fact that the roads are really not all that good for, for bicycling. Um, you know, most of the, the long distance bicycle train routes in America are just on small, like highways. So, um, you're oftentimes cycling next to big trucks, semi trucks and car traffic and that sort of thing. And, and like I said, I've biked across America six times. So I got a pretty good sense of what it's like to bike in America. And I've also biked across 70 other countries all around the world. So I've also got a pretty good sense of what it's like to go bicycle train elsewhere. Um, and in America, even though we do have these established bike routes, they really aren't that good in comparison to what say you find in Europe, for example. Um, the, the cycling in Europe is just so much better than in the United States because they have so many more dedicated bike paths or so, so many more secondary farm roads and that sort of a thing. So that's why if you look at like, like a map of all the bike tours in the world, you will see that Europe is like the epicenter of bicycle touring. And, and there's really a good reason for that. It's because bike touring there is amazing. Um, and that's why I've done so many of my bike tours in Europe in the past too, is just because once I experienced that, it was kind of hard to go back to like biking in America where you're just like on a, on one big road and going for miles and miles and miles without turning, um, you know, and cycling next to trucks and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of people have asked me, you know, uh, do you want to cycle across America or something? They don't know that I've already done that um, to a certain extent. 
And, and the truth is like, I, I've, I've done six long distance bike tours in, in the United States. And I don't think I honestly have it in me to do another one um, where it's like really long, like going all the way, like East to West or something. I honestly don't think I have it in me to do that again in the United States. I would love to do it. I'd love to go like across Russia, for example. Um, I, that would be interesting to me because it's so different. You know what I mean? Like it's so different from what I know or bike across Mongolia or something like that, China. Um, it would be so different for me. But because I've already done all these long-distance bike tours in the U.S., I don't have it in me to do another one. But that doesn't mean – that's just me. You know what I mean? Like I think so many people watching right now would love to bike across America, and, and that would be amazing. And I think you should do it. Um, I'm just saying that like there are other places in the world that have better roads for bicycle touring. But that doesn't mean you should give up on your dreams of biking across America. Um, you should still totally do it. It's just me saying that, like, there are places where you don't have to cycle next to semi-trucks, and that's kind of awesome. So, anyways. Um, double zero seven six seven says, Hi, Darren. Where have you found the most friendly people in your travels? That's a very good question and a very hard one to answer because I've found friendly people everywhere. Um, really. When I think back on like all my countries, there's no one place that stands out as like the most friendly people because I think in every single country I've met a lot of friendly people and also like a lot of grumpy people. Um, there's always like that cashier worker or whatever who's like, here's your food blah, 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 and they just don't give a shit. Um, there's always that person, no matter where you go in the world, I swear. Um, but there's also, like, amazing people that will, like, chase you down the road and, like, cheer you on when they see you biking. Um, I had a guy in Poland on, like, my two – this was on my, like, 2015 bike tour, I think, 2014, 2015 bike tour across Poland – this guy started chasing me down the road and I thought like, Oh, maybe I dropped something and he's like seen it, like seen it fall off and he wants me to get it or something. So I like stopped this guy's running down the road, like with his fist in the air and uh, what the heck is going on? But he just wanted to be like, Hey, I'm cheering you on. He wanted to be like my cheerleader, you know? And he didn't speak English. He spoke Polish. He, the guy was like 60 years old, but he was just like so excited to see, somebody on a bike trip you know and that's it going off on another tangent that's the cool thing about like like here's me on the back of my book um when people see you riding a bicycle that looks like this they know that you're on an adventure if you had a bike that just looks like a regular bicycle like this one and you're out on a bike ride um people see that and they just think you're out for the day on a on a little bike ride that's like nothing you know what I mean? You could be going two miles, but when people see this, when they, when they see you looking like this, carrying what is obviously like everything you own on your bicycle, they know that you're on an adventure. And so that's what happened with this guy in Poland is like, he saw me and he recognized like, Hey, this guy has been, he's been somewhere and he's going somewhere. And that's really cool. Um, so I, I have found riding this bicycle just because of the way it looks as a great way of meeting people because people 
like I said, like when they see you on a regular bike, they just think you're a local and you're going on a bike ride. But when they see you like this, they know that you're a tourist, that you're a traveler. And, and that's how I've been invited in on so many of my bike trips. Like people see me and they, they say, wow, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I've made a lot of friends that way. Um, I was in Sweden last summer, for example, and this guy came up to me and, and I was just sitting on a park bench, like wait, wait, just killing time with my bicycle. And this guy, yeah, I saw, he passed me and he was like checking out my bike. You know, I could tell he was like looking at it. And then like five minutes later, he came back and he's like, and then he talked to me, you know, he'd like built up the courage over the five minutes to come back and talk to me. And, and he, and he, and he just asked about my trip and stuff like that. And, and I said like, Oh, I'm yeah, I just finished like a 2000 kilometer bike trip across Norway, Sweden, and Finland. And I'm staying in this town. I was in Umeå, Sweden at the time. And, and that's where this guy met me. And I was like, yeah, I'm staying here for like a month before I go home. And, and he was like, Oh, a month. Wow. That's awesome. Like, do you want to go on a bike ride tomorrow? And I had just finished like a 2000 kilometer bike ride. So the last thing I wanted to do was go on a bike ride with this guy. You know what I mean? All I wanted to do was take a nap. But, um, but I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's go on a bike ride tomorrow. <laughs> so I go over to this guy's house. He gives me his address. I go over to his house. We go on a bike ride that day at the end of the bike ride. He invites me in. I meet his wife. I meet his kids. Um, and over the course of the month that I stayed in Sweden, like I not only met this guy's family, but I met his friends. I met his cousin. The cousin inter- invited me to this. Um, I don't know what it was exactly. <laughs> you ever see like in movies where like teens are jumping into these pits of water? Uh, that's what it was. They invited me to jump into this pit of water thing out in the middle of Sweden and and from that i ended up meeting all these other people that lived in umeå and and before i knew it after one month in umeå sweden because of this one guy i had met like a dozen different people from all across the city through this one person who had just stopped and and talked to me because he saw me riding my crazy looking bicycle so like i said a bit of a tangent there but my point is that you meet some amazing people when they see you um, conducting these long distance bike tours. Um, It's just a very easy way to meet people. Bicycle Touring Dad just donated 10 bucks. Thank you so much. 10 pounds, I should say. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, somebody was asking where can we donate um, to help you out. I see that. There's a link actually below this video. If you click on the description, it says, want to help Bicycle Train Pro make more amazing videos in the future? Then consider signing up as a monthly donor. There's a link there where you can donate. It's bicycletrainpro.com forward slash donate. Um, the donations that I get really just go towards helping me, one, run the website. Um, a lot of people don't realize that just running the website, because Bicycle Train Pro has gotten so big, costs me thousands of dollars uh, every year. Um, I also put the money in towards the videos and all that kind of stuff the cameras the hard drives like i have this i don't know like this is one of the many external hard drives that i have i've got about like 30 of these which have all of my video footage on these each one of these costs like 100 bucks but um i fill one of these up on every single one of my bike tours that i go on so every time i'm off on a bike tour i gotta spend a hundred dollars buying a new hard drive sorry i just flipped you off 
um, to <laughs> should have pointed with this finger. Uh, I got to spend a hundred dollars to buy a new hard drive, new cameras all the time, that kind of thing. So those donations really helped me out towards covering all of the expenses that I have with Bicycle Train Pro. Last year, Bicycle Train Pro cost me about thirty thousand dollars just to to run the website and all of the expenses that I have um, with the site. So those donations really helped me out. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to answer more of your guys' questions. It's 12 o'clock here in in Montana. Dale says, how have you gotten over the language barriers if, in fact, it even exists? That's another big question and a good one because I think language is like one of those things that prevents a lot of people from traveling to foreign countries. I, I know I have friends like in Europe, for example, that are afraid to come to America because they're afraid that their English, their limited English is not going to be good enough to, to survive over here or that people are going to like harass them or something because they don't speak English. But I've been to about, like I said, about 70 different countries around the world, most of which I do not speak the local language. I mean, I've been to the UK and Ireland and stuff. They speak English, of course. Um, and a lot of other places in South Africa, they speak English and stuff. But um, but a lot of the countries I've been to, South America and Asia and Eastern Europe, all that kind of stuff, a lot of these people don't speak English and I don't speak whatever language they happen to be speaking. I was scared of this too, but I found that language is really like one of the last things that you should be worried about. Most, I have two things that I'm thinking about. Just from a pure survival standpoint, language is like nothing to worry about. You can get by with like basic sign language, pointing at stuff, most stuff is easy. Like people know that you need a place to sleep. People know that you want food. People know that you need something to drink. And that's very easy to signal, even if you can't speak or read the language. Um, the, the difficulty I think with language occurs when you're traveling through places and you can't converse with the locals. So I'm trying to think of a place like where I, I just could not get along or, or I could not understand anything that the locals were saying. So this year, 2019 coming up, I'm planning to go to Ukraine and I've been to Ukraine on two previous bike tours and I'm going back for a third time. I really like it there. Um, but Ukraine is like one of those places where a lot of the people, especially in like small towns and stuff, older people don't speak English and uh, it can be very hard to to communicate with people. And so doing the basics, buying food and all that kind of stuff, figuring out the money, that, that that's all very, very easy. I mean, it's a little embarrassing because you don't speak the language or whatever, but it's pretty easy to, to get by. The problem is like if somebody wants to ask me where I'm from or where I'm going or what I'm doing or you know, how long I've been on the road or how old I am or or what my parents do for a living or do I have any siblings and all that kind of stuff that comes up just in a regular conversation with somebody that speaks your language, you can't have those conversations or it's very hard to have those conversations. Um, and I think that's where the bike trip in a way 
can become very difficult because I've, I've done long distance bike tours where I've gone like three months without talking to anybody or have it. I mean, you talk to people, but you don't have like a real conversation, you know, like, it's just like, I want food. I want, I need a place to sleep. I need water. And that's the extent of your entire conversation for three months because you can't communicate beyond that. And that's where it sucks. Um, I think, um, and that's why trying to learn a language, like if you know, you're going to be in a place for three months and you can't communicate, like I've gone to uh, Peru, I was in Peru for six months. I didn't speak a word of Spanish before I went down there. Um, but by the end I was able to communicate. I was able to say like, my sister is this year, this many years old and my parent, my dad is a doctor or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, and I sucked. I was terrible at Spanish. I'm still terrible at Spanish. But I was able to get by just with those few basic words. And those few basic words made a huge difference on the overall feel of my trip. Like if I had not tried to learn any Spanish and I had tried to go for six months in Peru, just saying, sorry, don't speak Spanish. Don't understand a word you're saying. That would have really killed the overall experience of my bike tour. So um, I would encourage you to try to learn any uh, language of any country that you're trying to go to. And when I'm traveling, the, the, the words that I always learn right away are thank you, um, good day, or hello, or something like that. Thank you, good day, hello, um, goodbye. And that's pretty much it. And then the numbers, those are the big ones. So like zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you can just learn those few things, that will help a lot because a lot of travel is dealing with money and stuff. So if you can just figure out the numbers, that will help you incredibly on your bicycle tours or, or travels in general. Um, but yeah, the main thing that I tell people all the time is like, do not let language stop you from traveling because yes, you are going to make a fool of yourself because you don't speak the language. Get over it. Um, I, I've come to actually kind of enjoy it. And I'm actually, I get bored when I'm now in a country where everyone speaks English. Like I'm in America right now. And I, I honestly find it kind of boring because when I go into the supermarket in a foreign country, for example, it's an adventure to like look at the labels on the food and try to figure out what everything is. You know what I mean? And then to like, Oh, let's say I'm trying to find a, like beans, for example, like, I need to go and ask the lady, where are the beans, you know? And, and it, that's like my little fun little challenge for the day is like, can I find the beans at the supermarket? Woo, this is going to be fun. But when you're, you know, when you're at home and it's, and you understand everything and it's easy and you know where the beans are, it's just boring. You go in, you grab the beans, you go home. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what I like about travel. Like I like the fact that there are certain things like language that make it difficult. Uh, that's that's where a lot of the fun comes from. Jane A says, hi, Darren. Did you ever have any accidents on your tours or get into difficult situations with cars? And what are you doing when being ill, especially when you're somewhere in the wild? Ooh, two very good questions. So first of all, accidents. One, I've never had an accident in 18 years of bicycle touring. Um, I've fallen off of my bike a little bit or something like that, but that was just like my, my own bike handling skills. 
like I, I was biking through Swaziland in Africa and, and I was going down this uh, hill and, and it, it turned into sand all of a sudden and I didn't see that coming and I flipped completely over the handlebars um, and I was fine. I actually landed on my feet. But um, like that's one of the incidences where I've crashed my bicycle, but like there was no vehicle involved. That being said, um, I have run into other bicycle tourists on the road who have had accidents. Um, and I've, and as the bicycle touring pro, someone who's helping people from all around the world learn how to bike tour, I do occasionally get emails from people who are out on the road and who have had accidents, who have been hit by a car or something like that. And, and I do talk about that actually inside my book, The Bicycle Turn Blueprint. It's like one of the first things I say, um, I'm trying to find the section, but basically is that like bicycle turning can be dangerous and, and even life-threatening. Um, people have been hurt and, and killed while bicycle touring. So you do have to be careful. It's not like uh, total, like a hundred percent, totally safe thing to do. There are cars passing near you and all that kind of thing. That being said, accidents are pretty rare and, um, and yeah, I've never had anything really happen to me. I've never had like drivers really bother me so much or anything. I've, I, I, I think in 18 years I had one person throw a battery at me, like a, like a double a battery they like hit me in the back and i in in alaska i had some guy come up to me and he thought i was like trespassing on his property even though i was just like standing on the side of the road um i'm trying to think of any other incidences i've had with cars i mean i've had you know cars and trucks get uncomfortably close to me but nothing serious the the main thing that i that uh pisses me off with car drivers i think is when uh a car that's coming at you so you're in the let's say you're in the right hand lane and the you know the cars are coming at you in the opposing lane and a car from the back decides to pass at the exact moment so they pull into the oncoming traffic lane and they pass with you right there that's the thing that pisses me off the most. And I usually try to like give those drivers like, you know, a thing saying like, don't pass right now when I'm right here, you're, you're coming on, you're coming at me at 70 miles an hour head on. That's really dangerous. So that's probably like the thing that annoys me the most about drivers when they do that. But otherwise I haven't had anything bad happen. Um, I don't want to talk about this too much because I don't want to scare you, but like the, the, the two, the, the two biggest things that I've seen for causes of, of accidents on bicycle tours is self-inflicted. So like me crashing in Swaziland and it was my own fault. That's the main thing that I've seen where people like they're not watching where they're going and they fall into the gutter on the side of the road and, and end up hurting themselves. Or, um, um, I had a, on my second bike tour, when I was biking across America, I, I ran across this couple who was riding a, a tandem bicycle. Like they were riding an old, like specialized Schwinn or something, tandem bicycle across America. And the frame of the bicycle split in half because they were carrying too much weight on the bike. The frame of the bike split in half mid ride as they were like going down a hill and they ended up just 
totally with terrible road rash and that kind of a thing. So those are the sorts of accidents that I see the most are self-inflicted where people did something stupid and caused their own accident. Um, and then the second kind of accident, like I said, is a car accident. And it's usually what I've just found with the, the accidents that I've seen is usually caused by people falling asleep at the wheel or some kind of alcohol involved, those two things. Um, but yeah, um, if you are worried about that sort of thing, like the, the, the one thing I do recommend is like riding with a mirror because that way you can see the cars coming up behind you and you can get a sense of whether they see you or not because a good driver will start to move over a little bit once they see you. And, and it, so if you can see that in your mirror, okay, they see me and they're moving over versus like sometimes you look back in the mirror and you can tell that they, they don't see you at all. Or sometimes they can, you can tell they, they can see you but they're going to try to pass you even though there's like 10 oncoming cars and they're going to pass you in this really narrow lane, in which case you might want to stop or move over or something. So that mirror really does help you out. I think mirrors on bicycles do look a little goofy and that's why a lot of people don't, don't ride with them, but um, they can be certainly like one of the best tools for staying safe while you're out there on the road. Um, as far as mirrors go, too, um, I have found that the helmet mounted mirror is probably like the best mirror to have. There are several different types. There are ones that go down on your handlebars. Um, there are mirrors that, you know, um, go on your sunglasses or something like that. But I've found that the helmet mounted mirrors are the best because the closer that mirror is to your eyes, the bigger the image is behind you. So you can get a really big view with a very small mirror close to your head you can get a very big view behind you with that very small mirror when it's this close to your face. But when you put a, a small mirror like that down on your handlebars, because it's so far from your eyes, that image that you get behind you is really, really small. Even if you put a big mirror on your handlebars, the image is pretty darn small compared to the, the uh, mirror that would be up by your face. So that's just my recommendation. Uh, I've tested every kind of bike mirror that's out there. And, and honestly, I think the helmet mounted mirrors are probably the best. The sunglasses, there are mirrors that go on your sunglasses. Those are good too, because they're close to your eyes. The, the disadvantage to those sunglasses uh, mirrors is that every time you take your sunglasses off, the mirror could potentially fall off um, or you have to readjust the mirror every single time you put your sunglasses back on. And that's, in my opinion, very, very annoying. So the helmet mounted mirrors are better because you can put this thing on and off without having to adjust that mirror every single time. And there's less chance of that breaking. If you, if you just flip your helmet upside down and place it upside down on the ground, um, that mirror will rest there without getting broken or anything. So um, anyways, I'm looking for a good question here. Oh, there was a second part of your question. I forgot what it was now. I went off. I don't see your question now. I'm sorry. Oh, Jane. So what do you do when you're ill, especially when you're somewhere in the wild? So first of all, the first thing you want to do is not get ill. Um, and you do that by <laughs> eating well and drinking well and that sort of thing. In 18 years of bicycle training, I've probably been sick three times on my bicycle tours. And every single time it was with food poisoning. 
So, uh, which is probably caused by drinking or eating food that had shit in it um, because people don't wash their hands or whatever. That's the truth. <laughs> so I've gotten sick in Peru. I've gotten sick in South Africa. And I've been, well, I got bitten by a snake once. And yeah, I've been sick in America. So um, I was fortunate in each of those cases. I guess the first thing, if you feel like you're getting sick, you want to get yourself somewhere where you can be sick. So a hotel or a hostel or something like that. You probably do not want to be sick in your tent, um, although that may be your only option. Um, if you are sick, I think you want to be near somebody. You know, I travel alone 97% of the time. So when I've gotten sick, I, I, I got myself to hostels in, in pretty much all cases or hotels. And so I was able to tell the people at the hotel that I was sick and have them check on me. Um, that was a big relief, just knowing that, like, okay, there's somebody here to help me. Um, obviously, if you're traveling with another person, though, it'd be nice if they help you, <laughs> of course. But yeah, like, uh, I don't know exactly what else to say other than, like, get yourself to a doctor, get yourself to a place where you can just rest for a few days. The, the thing about bicycle terrain that a lot of people don't realize is that most bicycle tours are one to two weeks in length. The, the, like, like I go off on bike tours sometimes and I'm gone for a year. That is very uncommon. And you, you'll hear about people doing that on Instagram or whatever, but it's very uncommon for people to do that. Uh, most people just simply don't have the time or the money to, to go off on a trip like that. So most people are, are gone for a week or two. And the fact that your trip is only a week or two long means that you have to schedule most of your trip out in advance. A lot of people will schedule every single night of their bike tour in advance. So they have all the campgrounds reserved or all the hotels reserved or whatever. And if you get sick, that can totally ruin all of your plans, um, which is a terrible thing, right? So there, there's two ways to do that. One is if you get sick and you've already scheduled everything for your trip, so what? You're going to have to stay somewhere for a while and you're just going to lose a little bit of money. Sorry. Uh, that's, that's the reality of the situation. It's better to just get better. So stay in a place, get better. And then if you can bike to make up that ground or take a taxi or an Uber or, or a train or a plane or a bus or something to get yourself to where you need to be on the rest of the bike tour. Um, what was I going to say? So that's, that's one uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. I had a second point I was going to make. Hmm. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Um, I'll think of it here in a second. Oh, well, change the subject. Sorry. Uh, Jose or Jose says, have you ever been in a no money situation? I'm not exactly sure what you mean by no money because I probably wouldn't travel if I had like no money to my name that I I've met people on my travels that literally had like $5 left or something like that. And to me, that's absolutely crazy. I would never do that. But from a, a no money situation in the fact that I've like crossed the border into a new country 
and had no money with me until I could get to an ATM. That has happened to me dozens and dozens of times. So I have gone for several days sometimes with no money at all. Um, and the way I survived that is by being relatively smart and knowing that there's a chance that when I cross into this new country, I'm not going to have any money. Um, the, one of my maybe most controversial videos that I ever posted was about when I got kicked off a train in Sweden. Uh, this was, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I had been in Norway for several months and, and, and then on this particular day, I crossed the border into Sweden and in Norway and Sweden, it's very common to pay with credit cards, like everywhere. So I assumed that once I got into Sweden, I would be able to pay. I was going to take a train and I, I assumed that I would be able to pay with my credit card on the train. So, and I crossed the border from Norway into Sweden on my bicycle and in the town where I was getting on the train, it was such a small town that there was no ATM in town. I, I was trying to find an ATM to get some cash just in case the credit card machine on the train didn't work or they didn't take credit cards or something. I was trying to get some cash. But because I had just crossed into the country, because I was in a very small town that didn't have an ATM, I, I got on the train with no ticket and no cash. All I had was a credit card. So... Um, when the conductor came around, I said, yeah, I'm going to Umeå, Sweden, and I, I only have my credit card to pay with, which was fine. She had a credit card machine, but for whatever reason, my, my American credit card did not work in this Swedish credit card train machine. So in that particular case, I didn't have enough money to pay for my ticket, you know, and I'm on this train and I, and my credit card doesn't work. So what do I do? You know? Um, and that's happened a lot. And, and ultimately what happened was, um, the conductor kind of let me go for free. I, I did have some Swedish money on me because I had been to Sweden on a previous trip and I had some leftover cash, but I didn't have enough to cover the whole train trip. So the conductor basically let me go for free. But, um, that's just one example of like, okay, I was, I was in a situation where I had no money to pay for the thing that I was already like on. I was on a train and hadn't paid for it. Um, but there's been lots of examples. Like I just two years ago or a year and a half ago, I was in Ecuador and Colombia and I crossed from Ecuador into Colombia and I, I went for a whole day with no money. Um, and I needed food and I needed water, especially water out in the Amazon rainforest. And, and it was a whole day before I got to a town where I was able to find a, an ATM machine and pull out some cash. And in the Amazon, nobody's taking credit cards. Let me tell you. So um, cash is king out there, you know, um, and and I just had to suck it up and go for a whole day, like with no food, basically, and just a very limited amount of water um, until I was able to get that cash. So that just happens. But yeah, as far as traveling with no money and like trying to make money on the road or something like that. No, I've never done that. I've just I've always saved up my money and then gone off on on my bike trip. And that's honestly how most people do it. Um, I get messages all the time from people who have like never been on a bike tour and they say like, Hey Darren, I want to go on this trip, but I don't have a lot of money. Like, should I get sponsors or what should I do? And, and I honestly tell people don't waste your time with anything like that. If you've never been on a bike tour, you have no following, you're not going to get a sponsor um, for your trip. What you should do is save up some money to go on your bike trip. And, and there's obviously like a lot of different ways that you could do that. But, um, 
when I was 17 years old, 18 years old, one of the things that worked for me, like I said, I, like I did my first bike tour with $300 to my name and it was a month long bike tour. So like 10 bucks per day is what I was spending on food and lodging and everything. And, um, but the following years when I went off on my bike tours, like I would write letters to my family members and say like, Hey, I'm going off on another bike trip this year. And, you know, I've, I've been in school all year and, and I'm not going to be working this summer cause I'm going to go on the bike trip. But if you could help me out, you know, some way or whatever, I'd really appreciate it. So like I was able to get, you know, a couple hundred bucks or something just from writing to my family members, my, you know, my aunt, my uncle and things like that. And, and kind of asking them to help me uh, on my bike tour. So um, that's an idea for you. Maybe, maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't, but. Um, most people that go off on bike tours just simply save up the money from their jobs or whatever, work a second job, sell some things, and then they go off on their trips. And when they run out of money, they come home. So, uh, I'm, if you have any questions for me, I I'm going to make myself available for like another half hour or as long as I can keep talking. So, um, feel free to, to uh, ask me a question, anything you want about bike touring, world travel, lifestyle design. You know, I've lived in a bunch of different countries all around the world during the middle of my bike trips. I've, I've lived in like a dozen different countries, um, Switzerland, Austria, Turkey, Greece, Croatia, Montenegro, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Taiwan, Sweden, Poland, I don't know, Romania, <laughs> all these things. Um, maybe I'll talk about that because I, I'm doing a little bit of that coming up in 2019. 2019, I've already got the, the entire year planned out um, for my bicycle train adventures. So I have a pretty good idea of where I'm going to be going. Um, on December 6th, I'm flying back to Poland. So many of you know, I was in, I finished my bike tour in Europe this summer. I, this summer I biked across Portugal, Spain, Poland, the Czech Republic, Austria, Slovakia, and Hungary, those few countries. And so I bought around, I finished my bike tour this summer in Poland and I bought a round trip ticket from Poland to the United States and now back to Poland. So I'm going back to Poland on December 6th, which is probably like the worst place and the worst time to go to Europe if you want to go bicycle touring. I'm going to a very cold part of the world in the wintertime. But my plan for December is to basically stay in Poland, in the city of Poznan, Poland, where I have a bunch of friends. Um, I'm going to stay there for an entire month or so. Month, yeah, a month. And um, so I'll be there for like Christmas and New Year's with my friends and stuff. And while I'm there, I'm going to be working on Bicycle Train Pro. Like I said, I've, I've shot about 40 new videos for the bicycle train pro youtube channel and i'll be shooting some more over the next two months so um i'm going to be editing a lot of those videos when i'm in poland then i'm going to bike from poland to ukraine and there's a reason i'm going back to ukraine mainly to get out of the schengen europe area because you can only spend, as a, an american i can only spend 90 days in europe at a time or in schengen europe at a time so uh, Ukraine is outside of Schengen, Europe. So I go to, I'm going to bike through the winter, through the snow, through the cold, into Ukraine, just across the border into the city of Lviv, and that's in January, mid-January. 
Then from like late January to early February, I've rented another apartment in Lviv, Ukraine, and I'm going to do more computer work and stuff there for Bicycle Train Pro. Then in February and March, I'm going to bike slowly across Ukraine during the wintertime. I'm not going to be camping. It's going to be really cold. I'm just going to be staying in, in like cheap hotels along the way. Then I'm going to fly from eastern Ukraine to Minsk, Belarus. I wanted to bike across the border, but there's you can't. I, I won't go into why. I'm going to fly to Belarus. And from Belarus, I'm going to stay there for like two weeks and do a little mini bike tour in Belarus. I've never been to Belarus. Belarus is like one of, I think it is the least visited country in all of Europe. Um, and so I'm going to go there. <laughs> then I'm going to fly to France for the start of this bike tour that I'm doing in Provence, France. This is a guided or self-guided fancy French food bicycle tour that I'm doing. Um, and you're invited to join me on actually. Um, this is a bike tour that I'm doing with a company called Belle France. So they've kind of organized everything, the food and the lodging and the route and all that stuff, the bicycles. Um, but if you are interested in cycling with me in France, go to the Bicycle Turn Pro website, click on the events tab in the menu. Um, you can just go to bicycleturnpro.com forward slash calendar and you'll see um, the bike tour in France and the other bike tours that there are three bike tours at the moment that I'm doing in 2019 that you are invited to join me on. And I'm going to be posting soon about a fourth bike tour that I'm doing soon in, of all places, New Zealand. So um, four bike tours coming up that you can join me on. Um, those bike tours are in France, Virginia, in the United States of America. Um, where's the other one? Portugal. And New Zealand is coming. So um, I'm excited to announce that uh, coming up soon. But yeah, check it out. BicycleTurnPro.com forward slash calendar. So anyways, then I'm doing this bike tour in France. Then I come back to America for the summer. I'm going to do some bike tours here, including the bike tour in Virginia, which is like is this Bike Virginia event, 1,500 people, 1,700 people biking across Virginia. It's going to be awesome. Then I'm going to fly back to Portugal, do another bike trip there with Fold and Visit Cycling Holidays, the same company that I did the bike tour with on the Camino this past summer. Um, and that's a bike tour also that you can join me on. Do that bike tour in Portugal. Then I'm going to do a solo bike tour across Morocco in Africa. Then after that, in December is when the New Zealand trip is going to be. So um, then I'll fly to New Zealand and do a, a bike trip there. So that's my whole year. 2019 is kind of already planned out. Um, I'm still getting all the details ready, but um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, uh, enough about me. Branislav says, are you coming to Serbia again? Not in 2019. I would love to come back to Serbia. Um, I biked across Serbia. I guess it was in 2015 or something. Very short trip in Serbia. I enjoyed it, but I would love to come back. Um, Trolley Trawler says, what podcasts are your favorite? Yeah, so if you've watched any of my recent Bicycle Touring Pro videos, you know that um, I'm a big podcaster. Like I love just crawling inside my tent after a long day of cycling and listening to a podcast. Podcasts, for those of you who maybe don't know, are like radio shows that are recorded on the internet, and you can listen to them anytime, so it's not live. You can like download these podcasts to your phone, 
when you have internet access and then listen to them when you don't have internet access, which is often on a bicycle tour. So I'm looking at my phone right now um, just to see what my favorite podcasts are. Um, okay. I'm trying to see what there, there's a few that I know that I really like. I'm, I want to, there's a lot I like, but I'm trying to get to the ones where I want that. I really want to recommend. Okay. Radio Lab's good. That's classic. Um, Serial is good. There's this one. Okay. So there's this one podcast called Terrible Thanks for Asking. This is probably one of my favorite podcasts at the moment. And maybe it won't resonate with everyone because the name of the podcast comes up from the fact that like when people meet you, they're like, hey, Darren, how's it going? And everybody, no matter how they're doing in life, always just says, oh, yeah, everything's good. Thanks. When it's not, you know what I mean? Like when things are oftentimes not good. And, and as I mentioned before, like I, I had cancer three years ago. And since then, I've really been struggling in a lot of ways just from, I don't know, like a motivational standpoint and stuff. But like um, when when I did have cancer, like the, the month that I found out was right, you know, in November, December uh, time. Like I had my surgery for the cancer in no, late November. I'm losing my voice now. Uh, late November of 2015. And so I was like at home for a month. Uh, and, and there was like a Christmas party that I got invited to with some friends. So I went to this Christmas party and I am really losing my voice. <laughs> I went to this Christmas party and I still had the staples in, in me from my surgery. And uh, like I had told the hosts of the party that I had cancer and that I had just had surgery but I didn't tell anybody else. Um, and so like a lot of my friends were there and people that I knew through my friends and stuff. And, and like, everyone was like, Hey, how's it going? You know what I mean? And, and I didn't want to be, everyone's in a good mood and celebrating Christmas. Woo. You know what I mean? And I just didn't want to be like, how's it going? Oh, actually I have cancer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going terrible. Thanks for asking, you know? Um, so I just was like, oh yeah, everything's good. You know what I mean? And I just pretended like, like I didn't have a bunch of staples in my stomach at the moment. Um, and so this podcast, terrible. Thanks for asking is kind of a bunch of stories like that about people that are going through difficult moments. Um, like I said, it's, it could be seen as somewhat depressing, but I've kind of found it comforting in a lot of ways. So, um, that's one thing. I'm seriously losing my voice, so we may have to end pretty soon here. Uh, this is like the longest I've talked straight all year long, practically. I usually do these podcasts for like an hour, and then I like take a nap for four hours afterwards because it totally weighs me out. Today, I wanted to go for two full hours just to make this special and to, pr to provide some extra value to you guys. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to make it for the whole two full hours. Okay. Um, there was another podcast I wanted to tell you about. Shoot. I have so many on here that now I can't find it. Oh, one that I've just recently discovered is called what really happened. 
um, by Andrew Jenks. It's called What Really Happened. And this guy, he's like a documentary filmmaker, but he now is making these podcasts. And, and he dives really deep into these subjects like Princess Diana, like what really happened to her? And um, or what else? Uh, some really good ones. I don't know. Uh, I, uh, Michael Jordan and things. Uh, yeah. Anyways, check it out. What really happened? That's a good podcast that I've just started listening to. Another one that I thought was that you might enjoy if you're camping in your tent alone in the middle of the night is this new podcast called Wild Thing. Wild Thing. And it's all about Bigfoot. And, um, yeah, maybe I wouldn't recommend that one to you if you're camped out by yourself in the middle of the woods, but it's pretty interesting. Uh, Gosh, there were some other ones I wanted to say, but I can't find them now. Anyways, yeah, enough about podcasts. Those are a few of my favorites. I'm looking for a new question to answer, guys. I'm going back through some of your old questions. I'm sorry, I missed a bunch of them. Uh, Raulcast says, are you going to host another Bikes and Burritos bike tour? Yes, so not too long ago, I hosted the first ever Bicycle Touring Pro Bikes and Burritos overnight bike tour in Southern California, uh, where we had about a dozen people or so. Um, meet up at my parents' house in Southern California, and we biked down the California coastline to a nearby campground where we camped, ate burritos, my favorite meal, uh, for for dinner that night, had a campfire, and then the next day biked back to my parents' house, and that was the end of the trip. Just a little weekend overnight bikes and burritos tour, and it was I think it was a very successful event overall. It it, it happened to rain on that particular day. But I want to do another Bikes and Burritos tour again, and I'd like to do more of those Bikes and Burritos trips in other parts of the United States, not just in Southern California. So where should I do my next one? That's the question. Maybe you should let me know. Um, I'm thinking the next summer when I come back from my bike tour in Europe that I will maybe try to organize a bunch of weekend Bikes and Burritos events in different, um, different cities all around the country in the United States. Most of my Bicycle Turn Pro readers are in the U.S. of A. Um, Second largest group of of readers is in the United Kingdom, Canada, um, Australia, New Zealand, all of the English-speaking countries, South Africa. And then it goes off into countries like Sweden, Norway, Germany, etc. Places where people maybe do speak some English, at least. So, um, yeah, I want to do some more Bikes and Burritos trips. I guess the question is, where should I do the next one? Let me know. Uh, Somebody asked a question that said, why did you start cycling? Um, And that's a good question. For me, the, 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 the answer was obvious, really. One, I started cycling because... I wanted to do something really challenging after I graduated from high school and before I went off to college. I just wanted to do something that nobody else had done that I had ever heard of. Um, and I wanted to do something, cha- yeah, challenging, the, the physical challenge of being able to ride my bike across the whole state of California. That's what inspired me to do my first bike tour. 
since then, my motivations have changed a lot for why I, I continue to bicycle tour. But it doesn't really matter what motivated me to start bicycle touring. I think what matters most is why do you want to go bicycle touring? Um, people go bike touring for a lot of different reasons. That's one of the things that I've learned as the bicycle touring pro is that the motivations that people have for their bike tours vary greatly. Some people want the physical challenge. Some people want to impress their friends with how far they can ride, like over a short period of time. Some people want to use their bike tour as a chance to like meet new people and make new friends. While other people want to use their bike tour as a chance to get away from people completely. Um, some people go off on their bike tours as a means of um, getting over somebody. Maybe they broke up with their girlfriend or their boyfriend or, their, or they split up with their husband or their wife. Some people um, go off on bike tours because their husband or their wife died. Um, and, and they are using their bike tour as some kind of therapy. Um, some people go on bike tours because they want to lose weight or get into good shape. Or some people go on bike tours because they want to use their bike tour as a training tool for another thing that they're doing, like running a marathon or, or something or entering some kind of bike race or something like that. Um, it's crazy how many people email me and tell me the, the different reasons that they want to go bicycle touring. Um, it, it's really like, I'd never would have guessed so many different reasons that people go bike touring. Like some people go bike touring because they want to go to a part of the world where their ancestors are from and they want to see like where their grandmother lived or something like that. Um, yeah, some people want to go places just because they want to go to a place that no one else has gone to. Like they, they don't know anybody that's ever been to Uruguay. So they go to Uruguay, you know what I mean? Um, there's so many crazy reasons that people go bike touring. I say crazy in like, in a good way. So many crazy, awesome reasons that people go bicycle touring. And I don't think there's any like one real reason that you should go bike touring. Um, the motivations vary a lot. And, and that's really something I've learned as the bicycle touring pro. Like when I started this website, I kind of assumed that just people would go on a bike tour because, I don't know. They want to be out in nature and they wanted the physical challenge. Those were the reasons that I thought bike touring was cool at the beginning. But now I see that there's all these different reasons um, that people have and, and people are constantly coming up with new, new reasons to go bike touring for themselves. And I think that's really awesome. So um, yeah, going back to the questions here, I have too many screens open. <laughs> Uh, da, 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 da. Oops. Uh, da, da. Jody Farish says, over the years you've been touring, has traveling with a bike on public transport, planes, trains, buses, etc., improved? Always the most stressful part of a bike tour. Jody, I couldn't agree with you more. I do believe traveling with a bicycle on planes, trains, buses, etc., is the most stressful part of a bicycle tour. Um, and a lot of bike tours, unfortunately, begin or end with one of those things, you know. Uh, uh, most bike tours do not actually go in a circle. Very few people start from their house, for example, bike across America, and then bike all the way back to their house. Most people, if they're going to bike across America or bike across any place in the country, they start in one place and end in another place. And then they usually take a train or a plane or a bus or something back home. So public transport with your bicycle is a big part of bicycle touring. 
And like you said, it usually is the most stressful part of the entire bike tour. Have things improved in recent years? Depends where you are in the world. <laughs> um, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, I think. Um, and the rules are always changing. That That is, the I think, the most stressful part about traveling on a train, plane, or bus is the fact that the rules are different everywhere you go. And just because you flew one airline five years ago and the bike was free to fly with back then doesn't mean that the bike is going to be free to fly with now. Um, that, that, that drives me crazy. Um, and that's why I've never like written articles on bicycle train pro where I list like the price of flying with a bicycle on multiple airlines or something like that, because that keeping that article up to date would be like, honestly, a full-time job because they're changing the rules all the freaking time. Um, and, and that's just planes. If you wanted to get into trains or buses, that gets even more complicated. So, um, no, I guess things probably haven't improved. I, I maybe have just gotten more used to traveling with my bicycle. Um, but that doesn't help people that are new to bicycle train. I just think that, um, you know, a lot of people nowadays, how do I say this? Yeah. If you're planning to travel with your own bicycle, you just got to get used to the fact that for at least one day of your bike trip, if you're planning to take a plane, a train or a bus, it's going to be a stressful day. And what I've learned, like, like I'm flying back to Poland with, you know, um, I'm flying back to Poland soon. And, and like what I've discovered is that when I fly with my bicycle or go somewhere at the beginning of my trip, like I need a couple days just to recover from that experience afterwards. So I used to, plan my bike tours to where like, like my second bike tour, I took a train across America and then I got off the train. I literally pulled the bike out of the box, put the bike together on the side of the train tracks and started biking across America. Like that moment, like I didn't give myself five minutes to, to rest or recover from the whole train ride experience. Nowadays, I do it totally different. So like last summer, I flew to Portugal for the start of that bike tour. And I gave myself like three, four days, I think it was, um, just to recover from the flight and gave myself time to put the bike together and all that kind of stuff. Um, because I've learned over the years that like, I need that those three days or four days or whatever, um, in order to recuperate from the public transport situation that I was in. Um, I made the mistake in just a couple years ago when I went to Taiwan, uh, I flew 24 hour flight to China and then from China to Taiwan. And Oh my gosh, it was a terribly long flight. And I, and I arrived in Taiwan in the afternoon, put my bike together that evening and began cycling the next day, like up over a giant mountain, big mistake. I was dead by the end of that day. You know what I mean? So that's probably the main lesson that I've learned um, just with traveling in general with a bicycle is like give yourself some time afterwards to, to recover, especially if you're doing a long, long trip like that. Um, yeah, there are a lot of ways too. like that's the thing I was going to say. There, there are companies that will ship your bicycle for you. You can ship your bike yourself sometimes. Um, 
And also, like, don't forget about renting bicycles. Like, a lot of people don't think about that. Like, if you're going off on a week-long bike tour or a two-week-long bike tour, sometimes it's not worth it to pack up your own bike and fly it halfway across the country or halfway around the world or something. If you're going on a week-long bike tour, just rent a bike. Like, you can rent a bike sometimes for a week for, like, 100 bucks, which is probably way less than what you're going to pay to fly the bike somewhere rent the bike for a hundred bucks or something. And, and there you go. You, you don't have the hassle of flying your bicycle halfway around the world or whatever. So like, like I did a bike tour in Norway recently, a lot of people fly to Tromso, Norway, they rent a bicycle there. Um, and then they use it to tour around the Lofoten islands and then they return the bicycle and then they fly home. And that's a great way to do it. Um, it's just in that particular case, like it's not worth it for a lot of those people to fly their own bicycle. So um, yeah, that's one way to get out of it, out of that terrible experience of flying with your bike. Um, Constantine says, what is your average cost per day on a bicycle tour? Well, that can vary a lot depending on the type of bicycle tour that you're conducting. If you're, if you're doing your own like self-supported bicycle tour where you're camping and sleeping in the forest and not paying for camping, um, your only expenses every day are going to be food and water. So you could get by potentially on like $10 a day, depending on which country you're in, right? Um, on the flip side of that, you could go on a very expensive, guided, fancy bike tour, like the one I'm doing in France this summer, where we're staying in like really nice hotels and eating, you know, five course French meals, and, and being guided by an experienced bicycle touring guide and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you could be spending $400 a day, you know, on that kind of a place because just the hotels alone are several hundred dollars a night. So, um, yeah, it depends on the type of trip that you're doing. That being said, I, I'm guessing that you're saying like, if you were to maybe do a like a trip where you're doing a mix of things like hotels, camping, staying with people for free. That's kind of like how I travel a lot of the times is like, I mix it up. I camp sometimes. I stay with strangers. Sometimes I stay in hotels or hostels. Sometimes like I, I do a little bit of everything and that I would say like, I'm spending, Hmm. I don't know. It's it, like I said, it depends. It varies so much depending on where you are in the world. Um, I'm trying to think like this summer I buy, I spent two months biking across, Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Austria, Hungary, and with my friend Kevin and a couple other friends. And we were camping most of the time. We stayed in a couple hotels. Hotels there cost like anywhere from forty to sixty dollars, I think, for like a real hotel. And camping was anywhere from two dollars to about eleven dollars, maybe fifteen dollars a night for camping. And then we had food on top of that. So let's just say like if we were camping, it cost 10 to $15 a night plus food. So maybe $20, $25 a day total for the trip camping going. But if you pay at a hotel, you might be spending 50 or more dollars per day. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but like I said, it, it varies so much depending on where you are in the world. Um, I did my first bike tour in Ukraine. I, I mentioned earlier that I'm going to Ukraine for the third time. My first bike tour in Ukraine was in 2012 and it was during the winter time and it was freezing cold, but I was such a cheapskate 
that I was trying to camp every single night. I didn't realize at the time, though, that hotels in Ukraine are super cheap. I thought that the hotels were like going to be just as expensive as they are in the United States. Like you can't even get a hotel in the U.S. for less than, a, you know, 60, 100 bucks, maybe or something like that. So um, I was thinking hotels in Ukraine are probably 60 to 100 bucks. But but eventually I found out that you can get a hotel in Ukraine for five dollars sometimes. So I was kicking myself afterwards sleeping in this freezing cold temperatures out in my tent when for $5, I could have been in a nice warm hotel. Um, and, and like I said, like, like that's a trip where you can, you can travel super cheaply. So, um, it just really depends where you are in the world, even in expensive countries. Like I went to, I, what was it last summer? Um, shoot, I, I wrote an article on it. I can't even remember now, but, I, last summer, I biked across Sweden, Finland, and Norway. Sweden, Finland, and Norway especially, those are some of the most expensive countries in the whole world. And a lot of, a lot of people don't go there because they hear about how expensive it is. But I was able to hack the, hack the system in a way because I, wasn't, I was in Sweden, Finland, and Norway, but I only paid for lodging one night at one campground. The rest of the time, I was just camping in the forest. So I was not paying anything for lodging. My only expenses were food. And maybe there was like a couple buses I took or something like that, or maybe, you know, entertainment things that I paid for. But otherwise, mostly just food. So I spent a whole month biking across Sweden, Finland, and Norway. And I think the whole trip ended up costing me like $800, $800 or something like that, which is what, like, not very much, like $27 a day. I'm looking at my calculator, $800 divided by 30. Yeah, that's about right. So I think the whole trip, one month bike tour in Sweden, Finland, and Norway cost me $800, which works out to be like $26, $27 a day. A whole lot cheaper than most people think it costs to go bicycle touring. I, I hear that as an excuse from so many people. is like, I would love to go bicycle touring, but it costs too much. The truth is you can go bicycle train and have it cost almost nothing. That's what I did my first bike tour. I, I did my whole first bike tour one month for less than $300, $10 a day. Uh, I've done several other bike tours around the world for very, very little money. Um, in Peru, for example, I've spent very little money. Um, so many places around the world, actually spent very little money. Most of my bike tours, I'm probably spending less than a thousand dollars a month total on the entire trip. So, um, yeah. Um, Madison Dean says, man, I love your site and all the great cycling. Longtime cyclist who is so inspired by your work. Hope to ride with you and other fans sometime in the future. Thanks, Madison. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Shark mentality says, with all the things I have accumulated to fit in bike packing bags requiring their own travel bags, I dread the bike breakdown to travel by bus or train. Yes. Um, what? Well, I'm going to go off on a little tangent because I've already talked about traveling on buses and trains. But but packing the bicycle, there, there are bike packing bags and there are bicycle touring bags, like pannier bags. Oftentimes, when you see me on my bike tours, I'm using pannier bags, which are these like backpack size 
bags that hang off of the front and rear racks on my bicycle. And I usually have four of these panniers on my bicycle at any one time. And inside those panniers, I carry all of my things. Bike packing, however, is like an, a relatively new method of bicycle touring where you carry all of your things, not in pannier bags, but in these frame bags or handlebar bags or seat bags that kind of like Velcro onto your bicycle. And there are some advantages to packing in a bike packing style. Um, the main advantage is that when you're going over rough terrain, your belongings don't bounce around as much because they're tied very stiffly to the frame of your bicycle. That's the advantage to bikepacking bags. The, the, the main advantage. The disadvantage to bikepacking is that you can generally pack less items. You have to be, pack ultra light when you're bikepacking and packing your bicycle up on a bikepacking rig is a whole lot harder to do and more time consuming than on a road-based, pannier-based uh, touring bicycle with the pannier bags on racks. So with pannier bags, I don't have my bike behind me at the moment, but pannier bags are almost like a bucket. And you can just kind of throw your things in there um, from the top. And then you close the lid and then you're off on your way. So it's very easy to kind of pack pannier bags when you're bicycle touring. It's pretty easy to just kind of throw things in as you need them or pull things out when you need them. Bikepacking bags, however, require a whole lot more finesse, I think. You've got to roll things up tightly and squeeze them into their proper place. Um, and, and I've found that to be one of the major downsides to bikepacking, in addition to the fact that you have to be a whole lot more careful about how much um, you carry with you. But bikepacking limits the amount of space you have and makes it a whole lot harder to pack. Um, and this can be especially true, like, you can find... I mean, this is maybe my main struggle when I'm bikepacking is I can get all my stuff that I need, clothing and camping gear and stuff on my bicycle, water, all that stuff on there. But but when it comes to food, that's where I really struggle because I've filled all of the spaces on my bike with clothing and camping gear. And now I have no, I don't have a lot of room left for food. And if, and so like when I'm on my road-based bicycle tour with the pannier bags, I can go for days sometimes. I can go for a week carrying a whole week's worth of food on my bike. No problem because my pannier bags are big and I can load those things up. Bikepacking, it's a whole lot harder to carry a whole week's worth of food on, on a bikepacking rig. There's just not room for it all. So um, on with bikepacking, you're going to have to make like generally, you're going to have to make more pit stops along the way to fill up on food and that kind of a thing. But um just a little tangent about bikepacking versus bicycle touring and those two different methods. Uh, trolley trawler, I see your question. <laughs> she says, does your mom ever harass you about getting a girlfriend? My mom and grand do as I work a lot. Just since, um, just since your 2009 seems like a busy year for you. Yes. I get harassed about this quite often, actually, not just from my mom, but from friends and, and bicycle touring pro readers as well. Um, yeah. One of the advantages to bicycle touring is that you get to go to all these amazing places and meet all these amazing people. And you get to meet people from all different walks of life. You get to see how different people live. And I think that's amazing because I've met a lot of really cool people this way. The downside to bicycle touring and my lifestyle as the bicycle touring pro, the fact that I travel so much, and I'm 
constantly on the road is the fact that when I do meet somebody, I'm not around for very long. And that has uh, been one of my problems. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to work that out actually at the moment. Um, but the problem I'm having is where do I want to live? <laughs> because um, I, I'm from the United States. I grew up in Southern California when I was 22 or something like that. I moved to Utah on my own and I bought a condo in Utah and I've owned the place ever since. But um, so I've owned that place for like 13 years or something like that. But um, I've only lived there for about three of those 13 years. The rest of the time I've been on the road and traveling. And in fact, um, I have not been home to my home in more than five years now. And yeah, five years. In December 31st, it'll be five years exactly. So um, yeah, uh, I, it's fun to be on the road. Like I love traveling and, and honestly, I get sick of being in one place if I'm in a place for too long. But the major downside is, yeah, you don't get to build the relationships that you might be able to build if you were to just stick in one place and live there all the time. So I am trying in the future to like figure out like maybe I could move back home and then just go off on a bike tour for, you know, go for on a bike tour for go to Portugal for two weeks and then come home like a normal person. Cause right now I'm not living like a normal person. I will go to Portugal and I will stay there for the entire year. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I've been living for the last 18 years. Um, and, and that's how I've been able to rack up so many bike tours all around the world is like, I just, I don't go for a week on vacation. I go for a year or, you know, a couple months at least. Um, but yes, there are major downsides to that. Anyways. Um, the other thing I was going to say though, is like, I'm having a hard time picking a place that I want to live because I have seen, well, I should go back. Most people live in a place because they were born there, you know, and they don't know anything else. And very few people ever go anywhere else. I think I read an article recently that said like most Americans live within like eight miles of their mom. And, and so like you're born somewhere, you move at most like eight miles away and you live there your entire life, eight miles away from mom. And, and the article was saying that like the, the wealthier wealthy the wealthier you are and the more educated you are the more likely it is for you to live far away from where you were born and it said like the wealthiest people and the most educated people live more than a thousand miles away from where they were born and 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 that most people however live like less than eight miles away from where they were born um so i thought that was a really interesting article and, and I think, honestly, I think that's true based off of my own bicycle turn experiences because I've met people on the road who have, like, never been more than 30 miles away from where they live. In their whole lives, they've never gone more than 30 miles. I've met so many people like that on my travels. Um, you wouldn't believe it. Like, it sounds unbelievable, but there's a lot of people out there that have never been more than 30 miles away from their home. Um, and, yeah. So my problem now is that I've been to 70 different countries. I've been to all these amazing places all around the world. And, and if you said, you know, people always ask me, where's your favorite place? And I have some favorites, but I don't, there isn't like one place in the world where I think 
this is the best place. Everything is right with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's amazing. I don't think that about where I am from. I don't think that about where I live now. And I don't think that about any place that I've ever been anywhere in the world. I don't, I don't think there is a perfect place. Um, or if there is, I haven't found it yet. So um, I think that is my big problem is like there are things I like about so many different places in the world. And when I'm in a, another place, I compare that place to the, these other places that I've been. Um, for example, like the, the three major cities in Europe that I love the most are Brasov, Romania, Poznan, Poland, and Umeå, Sweden. Those are like my three favorite places. They're smaller cities, um, which is something that I like. Like ev everything you need is in those cities but they're small enough to where it's not like overwhelming. And that's kind of what I like about it. But every one of those places has something wrong with it. Like Sweden, I love the nature. I love that you can bike everywhere. Uh, I love the fact that people speak English. I love that they have Mexican food at the supermarket. Like those are all things I love, but it gets freezing cold during the winter. You know, it's half of the year is way too cold for me. So that's one thing, you know, and then I think about Brasov, Romania. It's like beautiful architecture. I, I have a lot of friends there, uh, lots of outdoorsy people. Um, it's super cheap. Um, but the thing is, it's in Romania. And like, I don't know, like, I just don't know if I could move there. And, you know, like there's, uh, what else? I don't know. Like there, there's just like, things every time there's something that prevents me from saying like oh that's the best place in the world you know i want to move there anyways i went off on a, a bit of a rant there but my point is that like travel does that to you you know i think mm, i don't know if i should say this but patriotism you know a lot of people have this like gut patriotism where they're like, I was born in America. It's the greatest country in the whole world. But they've never, they say that without ever having been to any other countries. And, and as someone who has traveled much of my adult life and has been to 70 countries around the world, it's not all of the countries, but it's a lot of countries, more than most people will ever see in their lifetime. Uh, I can say that, you know, in a lot of ways, America is not the greatest country in the world. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that other countries do way, way better. And so, um, and that's just one example. I'm just using America as an example. But um, a lot of people in the world think, you know, their country is the best or, or the way they do things the best, um, when in reality, they don't even know because they don't know what they don't know, you know? And so um, that I think is maybe the superpower that I have generated from my bike training adventures is like, I can put myself in other people's perspective. Like I can see the world a little bit from like a Swedish person's viewpoint because I've spent so much time in Sweden. Um, whereas someone who's never been to Sweden cannot understand them at all. Um, but my kryptonite is also the fact that I understand other people. So like I understand I've traveled so much that I understand the weaknesses of all these 
places and people and things as well. I can see the downside to a lot of places also. So it's like a superpower and a big weakness is, is uh, I think that I've generated from world travel is like, I see the best of places and I also see the worst. And that's making it very hard for me personally to, to pick a place that I want to live. Um, anyways, yeah. Hope you found that somewhat interesting. I think it, it's something that I think about a lot of the time. So, um, yeah. <laughs> John says, a challenge of having a girlfriend when you bicycle tour a lot is it's difficult to stay downwind of them so you don't, so that they don't notice how grubby and smelly you get. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyways. Nils Peterson says, hey, congratulations on the 11th birthday celebration wish from Nils from Umeå, Sweden. See, there you go, Umeå, Sweden. Uh, like your YouTube channel, take care. Okay, guys, I have been on the air for over two hours now. I'm starting to lose my voice. Um, I hope this has been entertaining and somewhat educational for you. And um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for the past 11 years uh, helping me uh, build Bicycle Touring Pro up to what it's become. Uh, Bicycle Touring Pro is really my passion project. And um, my goal moving forward, as I said at the beginning of this, is to help 10,000 people learn how to conduct bicycle tours anywhere in the world. So if you're one of those people that I've already helped, please email me right now. Email me or message me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube or whatever. Send me a private message. And just send me a picture or photo from your bike tour and tell me how it went and tell me how I helped you. That would, that would be amazing. And I want to add you to my website because I've created a little a web page on BicycleTurnPro.com um, where I'm collecting all of my success, success stories. I have about 400 people on there at the moment. I know that there are more people that I've helped that have just simply not messaged me. So if you're one of those people who hasn't messaged me yet, please do that. Let me know where you went on your bike tour. Send me a picture or a video from your trip and let me know in what way did I or Bicycle Train Pro help you. You know, was there a specific video or an article or my book or whatever? Just let me know what it was that I did that helped you the most. Um, I would really, really appreciate that. Okay, guys, that's it. I'm Darren Alf from BicycleTrainPro.com. This has been my 11-year Bicycle Train Pro birthday celebration. I'm turning 35 on October 14th. I'm getting old. Uh, we just passed 10 million views on the Bicycle Train Pro YouTube channel. Thank you for watching all the videos. And if you want to get a copy of my book, The Bicycle Train Blueprint, it's available now on my website, BicycleTrainPro.com or at BikeTourBook.com. You can get it for $5 off its normal price, whether you get the ebook or the paperback. All you got to do is enter the coupon code BIRTHDAY at checkout. Just there's a when you go to the checkout, there's like a little coupon code section. Type in the word BIRTHDAY and you'll get this book for $5 off its normal price. Okay, I'm about to lose my voice. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Um, hope you have a good one. I'm going to sign off now and probably take a nap for the rest of the day. <laughs> this has worn me out. Thank you so much, um, and I hope to see you out on the road sometime soon. Okay, guys. Adios. Avida Zane. Dovid Senya. Goodbye. <laughs>